Hello and welcome back to the Comic Lyra podcast, the podcast that does deep dives into the best, worst, and middest of comic books, graphic novels, mangas. Yeah, don't look at me like that. Uh, I'm your host, as soon to be known as Comic Stan, and with me, as always, is my Elizabethan co-host, it's Jamie. Middest! We've established there is a middest. Uh, no, I think it's great. Like, we talked about changing the intro. Mm. You changed the intro. You didn't tell me. It got a response. You and can't hold me culpable for this. Changed it on the fly. Didn't even write it down. It was literally mid-reading. jazz? That was a bit of jazz, yeah. Baby, it's jazz today. Yeah, that's, we've hit the quota for jazz in this week's episode. Okay, so there's no more jazz. <laughs> Actually, we've hit the quota for the year. That was <laughs> that was the two, 2024 First jazz quota. First recording of 24, baby. First recording of 24. First second release of 24 technically but that's because we're such uh devoted podcasters that we put out episodes on christmas day and new year's day how um, many other podcasts can say that a listener did Probably reach out most. to me and was like i listened to your podcast on the way home from my family christmas thank you and i was like that's pretty dope great great to know yeah i thought it was great and today we are recording in the daytime that's weird as well yes it's weird schedule like our our diaries got so blown up this week Mm. that we're recording on a saturday afternoon before i go into a saturday evening shift so this is going to be the most highly caffeinated (laughs) comic literate podcast episode ever i think this is the first time we've been able to responsibly have caffeine (laughs) On a, while recording an episode. Because we're in our 30s now and we normally record at about 8pm. Yes. So if we had caffeine, we wouldn't sleep. No caffeine <laughs> after four. That's a, that's a rule you've got here one day if you're actually getting up in the morning for a nine to five and all this that boring it. bollocks. But enough about that boring bollocks because yeah. that's not what we're here for. We're here to discuss a, a bit of an unusual one, uh, Marvel 1602. Now this is a... Um, comic that came out in 2003 so we're about 20 years too late about past the punch but it is an interesting one and it has some tie-ins with stuff that's happened recently um do do you wanna should we talk about the things around the comic first uh like some of the what do you call it like exterior kind of factors that were kind of around it before we deep dive into it what the creation of the comic or the actual historical factors in 60 elizabethan england i mean that's another podcast we get into (laughs) because i have a slight inkling that someone might have some a lot of relevant information about that no i don't know what you're on about did you not read a book about how they salted cod in 1602 or something i mean they did salt cod in 1602 and there is like that 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 trip to the americas that they went on wouldn't have been possible were it not for salted cod let's be honest here i'll 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 hold my hands up i invited that in (laughs) that's my fault guys it's the podcast baby (laughs) so this again is an interesting one because there's some stuff around it which i'll get into firstly uh while we're doing it now for one thing i felt like we should get into some older out of like up-to-date 2024 stuff because when we did the best and worst the cheers and jeers yeah i was literally looking at comics now being like if it's not released in 2024 we can't do it next year at, at the end well the end of this year yeah we can't talk well we can't we can but we can't talk about it in like a comparing best and worst kind of thing yeah. so it's like you know what january let's give ourselves we'll do some kind of out there stuff a little bit you yeah, know and some fun stuff and then by february we're going to be back on like the what's releasing right now so we can yeah. talk the best and worst i mean we've because we've not had our ryan and i have a christmas period meeting about the podcast we started it last year normally over sushi mm because um, we're middle class because we're middle class yeah we haven't done that this year because i was so busy over christmas 
But I feel like that's the, a really valid direction for the podcast that I'd like it to go in this year is more topical stuff. Mm. And I think you want that as well. Mm. And so we've, we've, we've negated the need for a meeting on air. That's mm. fantastic. It's just how efficient we are as podcasters. Absolutely. I would say. Better what, than most. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. <laughs> I'll hold us to that the standard. The upper echelon. <laughs> <Yeah>. like... <laughs> just don't look our recording setup. <laughs> I think this is a pretty pro recording setup. We've got a laptop. We've got mic arms. Yep. Mismatched microphones. We've great. got a cat that keeps us in line. and Yeah, she keeps us in check. Yeah. So this one, it came to mind. So you actually, you saw, I think, just a single image of yeah. Spider-Man 1602. Yeah. And you were like, hey, let's. this looks interesting. Let's do this. So it kind of stuck with me a bit there. Then, more recently, uh, Marvel uh, released an animated show, uh, the second season of What If. So that came out over Christmas, literally, I think, from like Christmas Eve to New Year's Day or yeah. something. They released an episode every day, which was cool. Uh, and What If is parallel universes, one small change. What if, what if, what if this happened? Like, the uh, one that comes to mind for me is, what if Flash Thompson got bit by the spider instead of Peter Parker? So Flash yeah. Thompson was Peter Parker's bully at the time. So they did a 1602 episode. So like, what if Marvel, but in 1602, which is, you know, this entire comic. So it happened recently. I think it got a little bit buzzed. People were like, wow, this is cool. Like, you know, Elizabethan times, whatever. The other reason was I saw a thing recently about Neil Gaiman, the writer of this week, uh, this week's comic, um, how he kind of came about to actually create it. So yeah. you are a Neil Gaiman fan. You Huge Neil Gaiman fan. Any little like recommendations or whatever for people, Neil Gaiman stuff? Stardust. Mm. So everybody needs to read Good Omens, which he wrote with Terry Pratchett. And a great uh, TV show on streaming. Great TV show, I've heard. But mm. Good Omens is special. It's, it's, I mean, it's Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman mm. together. Fuck. Um, but Stardust is really beautiful. There's a kind of mid film that they made out of it. And there's a, uh, take that did the song right, yeah you know um you lied i can't sing anymore that's a, of it. That's a very british reference take that are a, a boy band who reformed in like their 40s and 50s yeah totally and became more famous than they were before yeah totally somehow um but they did the song for the film that became like a pop hit in the mid to late noughties i suppose um hmm. and the movie stardust is kind of okay but the book is beautiful it's right. really great really really great um and so yeah i read stardust maybe for the second time in like november december and would highly recommend it i'm about to reread good omens like i'm having a real neil gaiman -y kind of year um so yeah definitely if you've not read any neil gaiman just get to some of his written work as well as his comics because he is a fantastic author so specifically speaking of his comics and this kind of ties into what i'm about to get into so uh, he's most well known, I think, for the Sandman comic, yeah. uh, which was it was published by DC, but it also felt like it was always separate from DC. It was kind of I don't know if it's specifically DC Black Label, but it was it, it was, was an original, wasn't it? Yeah, it was DC. It was it was half in, half out of like the DC universe. Like I think some characters appeared in the Sandman yeah. stuff, but it was never properly part. Like you're not going to see Sandman in like the Justice League film yeah. or anything like that. But because of that. And because how popular Neil Gaiman was, not only as a comic book writer, but as a writer generally, Marvel and DC were very big on getting him writing like a main thing for them. Like, let's get him writing a superhero title because yeah. obviously it's going to do really well yeah. and he's really good and he's really popular. So he eventually agreed to do uh, 1602. Mm. Uh, part of the reason was, uh, the reason he did this specifically was th 2003, it was 
relatively quite soon after 9-11. Yeah. So Neil Gaiman, and he's actually said this, he said he didn't want to do anything that was in like the modern world because he, did, he didn't want to do anything with like, with like skyscrapers and cities and stuff because it was just a, a reminder of something that happened relatively recently for yeah. him. I don't know if he was there in New York in 9-11 or whatever, but regardless of the reason, he just, that was his reason for wanting to take it back in time. Which I think is a level of sensitivity towards the American psyche at the time that only a British person could have had. Yep, yep. Because, I mean, I, 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 I didn't realise how, and this sounds really silly, but I didn't realise how much of a kind of, how, how much of a really, really terrified fanatical vibe americans got whipped up into after 9-11 until yep. i watched studio 60 on the sunset strip yeah yeah with rest in peace one of the goats matthew perry matthew perry fantastic performance by matthew perry i would argue his best performance right and, and very underrated like an amazing dramatic performance mm. great script kind of like an snl well not kind of like it, an snl it was, SNL, it was basically yeah. yeah it was basically a tv show about what it was like to be in the writer's room at SNL in the years after 9-11, right? Yes. And so America was scared and America was angry and everyone was shouting about everything and everyone was talking about terrorists and everyone was very American. And for a British person to, to go to an American company and say, yeah, I'll write something for you, but I'm not setting it in amongst all of that because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to upset anybody who's mm. or you know I don't I don't I don't want to add something into the oeuvre of a country that's just had this huge tragedy. I think his main reason was again he he did he just was not excited about saying something in that. Yeah. You know, I think I think literally the modern age like cities had been kind of tainted temporarily for him but by that which I think is fair enough. And in terms of like the epitome of a city it's even new york or tokyo isn't it exactly yeah and new york if it's marvel which it is then it was gonna it had to be new york and i think setting it in elizabethan england was interesting mm. i think he had to he i i breezed over a quote and it was basically something along the lines of like he always felt that like superheroes and powers and stuff all felt magic even yeah. if it was science fiction it all felt so much like magic and to him i think a magical time was is that medieval and then stretching to elizabethan victorian like that kind of era yeah i mean elizabethan could be argued to be the early modern era exactly um you know we've, we've gotten out of the dark ages at this point uh there's there'll be gunpowder floating about in elizabethan britain mm. um you know we're, we've we've established an empire uh europeans are sailing to the americas now um, even though the Vikings got there first because of the cod. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Salted cod, yes. We know. No. We know. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's a re and it, it, you know, it's an interesting, not to go too deep into it, but it's an interesting point in British history because, of course, we ran out of royals. And so one of the transitions that you see in the comic book, which is very real, I don't know if you know about this. Not, not massively, no. Is Elizabeth... Obviously, she is Henry's daughter, mm. and she dies with no heirs. Yeah, her bro her brother and her sister also having done so, and so there are no there are no royals no more. That's the mm. expression: no royals, no more. And so they went and pinched King James the Sixth from Scotland and made him James Jewel Numbers. Yeah. Um. And so he, I mean, his mum was Margaret Tudor, so his mum had his. There was English legitimacy in his line. Mm. Um. So it was a real transition point for british people because suddenly we had a foreign monarchy again yeah you know not since william the conqueror had we really had a foreign king and all of a sudden james jewel numbers is james the first of england and six of scotland and so like they and that happened in 1603 
And so he <laughs> pitched this. Right, 1602, this book lasts for about a year. Mm. We are watching a superhero-injected version of the last years of Elizabeth's rule, mm. basically. And I think that's fucking cool. Very cool. I was going to posit that uh, maybe the two at the end was literally just to make it sound like a real year. Like, if it was just 1600s, like, of course they end up in, like, a rounded up kind of... It's like, all right, we'll put a two on it, and it sounds a bit more... It's like, you know, when, like, you're writing a, any kind of yeah. writing or something, it's like, if time traveled, when? Like, you can't be, like, 1900, no. 2300. You have to be, like, 1973. Like, you have to add that little, you know... And it could have been that, but mm. then he very... But he picked an interesting year. Yeah. He picked a transitional year, and that's the thing. And I think this whole story kind of feels transitional in yeah a way. it revolves around it incorporates that transition into the the story yeah there's specifically a bit without getting to spoilers just yet because i think we'll we'll do a little bit non-spoiler before we get into the whole thing just in case anyone does want to read it on our recommendation totally um but there is a tie-in with this feel impending doom yeah that ties in and uh one of the characters dr strange literally remarks on like people feel that the death of queen elizabeth is a sign of the end of times and you've got to remember that obviously we just had a monarch die for the first time in most of our lifetimes. Did we? <laughs> I am joking. Um, and nothing changes. Yeah. But particularly at this moment in time, who sat the throne was a big deal in Britain because it mm. defined which religions you were allowed to follow. Yeah, yeah. And so um, Elizabeth was a Elizabeth was a Catholic, wasn't she? Right. Um, I, I'm taking your word on it. I'm pretty sure Elizabeth was a Catholic. Yeah um his yeah his daughters were catholic his son was a protestant like him right but but even even if i'm wrong it stands that james wouldn't have been church of england because he was scottish yeah and so any change of monarch came with a change of the accepted religion in britain and religion was really important in the 1600s funnily mm. enough and so you know it it really would have signified a change of regime and i think he tapped into that so well when they're talking about oh, well, actually, you know, this new king is probably going to be a bit more harsh about the magic because yep. he, he's this and she was that. And so he took all of these really, really... He, ma he made all of these very astute observations about English history and then wove them into a superhero story in a way that was just really mm. clever. I think uh, not having known any of that or much of that when I was reading it, it now dawns on me how smart it was to incorporate again that changing of the guard of the the top British royalty with the the hysteria, maybe rightly so, around superpowered people. Yeah. So like it's it joins these two genres in like a real historical in, informed way, which yeah. is pretty much it's genius, I'd say. And they talk about the Armada and the Inquisition, yeah, and how you know the Inquisition are burning witches, and they want to start doing that in England with the help of the Scottish Crown, and that's. All of these conversations were happening yep. among, among the, you know, the kind of rulers of Europe at the time. And so it's a really, really great setting to inject some enhanced people into. Yep. Um, and again, the treatment of some of these characters is fantastic. Yeah. Oh, man. Like, so before we get into that, because yeah, okay, that yeah. is going to be a whole thing in itself. Yeah. Um, the one other little thing about the making of this comic that I yes. thought was so good so I'm bringing up someone who I've mentioned quite a bit before, uh, YouTuber Matt with four T's. Matt with four T's, baby. He has a video about a, a comic book writer and artist, Todd McFarlane. Todd yep. McFarlane, known he's done a lot, but known most famously for the Spawn comic book. Yep. Um, he, so in this video, it turns out what happened at one point is Tom McFarlane, he'd made Spawn, he'd helped found Image Comics. He was yep. one of the original like people who helped get that off the ground. 
Um, and at one point he was making his own comics and he was trying to break into the toy industry. Right. Now that sounds that can sound random to someone else, but as we know, merchandise is one of the biggest financial drivers of like franchises and intellectual property that yeah, kind of thing for the past 40 years it's been the biggest yeah. so he was making a real concerted effort to like break into this when it was so dominated by like hasbro and yeah. the other um other companies i can't think of but he actually like he took like half baked drawings and stuff to a comic convention and managed to get him in front of like i think it might have been hasbro might have been one of the others but like yeah. the one of the big people there got off the ground started todd's toys and basically like did something no one else would thought possible at that time mm. part of that was neil gaiman had written some characters created some characters and written them for some of todd mcfarland's comics i don't know if it's specifically spawn or not it might have been spawn it might have been some other comics but i know he created characters for them yeah. what happened was todd mcfarland then was making these toys off of these characters right. so then neil gaiman went to him and was like hey, I made those characters for you and now you're making money of the toys. Like, can we, you know, do some kind of deal about it? So important thing to know about Tom McFarlane, apparent by all... Uh, Was he a cock? No, so... <laughs> I can see what you're driving at here. By everyone's accounts from fans, he yeah. is um, amazing. He's, right. he's one of those people that loves talking to his fans, like generally excited to speak to them. Yeah. Very affable, very open. Like he's, he's beloved by his fans, but... Uh, just based on how they've met him and interacted with him. Yeah. Within the industry, <laughs> the accounts paint him as more of an arsehole. <laughs> and I think... He knows where his bread's buttered. Yeah. <laughs> I like this guy. Yeah. I like this and guy. And from what little I've seen, he doesn't deny it. Uh, he's right, not, he's okay. not like, uh, like, no, fuck them. They were in the wrong. I think he is a bit, he is a bit aware of like, yeah, I'm hard to work with kind of thing. Right, okay. So when it came to this dispute about the toy rights, and we are getting we're getting to the connection very soon. When it came to this dispute, McFarlane's a bit like, "Yeah, we'll sort out later." And uh, Gamer was like, "No, we're gonna sort out now." And McFarlane's like, eh, "I can't really be asked right now." That kind of thing. Yeah. So Gaiman, knowing that the only way he was going to resolve this was a legal dispute, which he would have to fund, went to Marvel and was like. I will write for you. <laughs> Give me some of the Marvel money. Not only Marvel, I think Marvel <laughs> backed his legal dispute. Nice. He went. Mm. He went to the corporates yeah. and went, guys. I've got some shit to do. Oh, yeah. that's clever. He knew they'd have good lawyers. Exactly. And it Neil wasn't fucking gaming. Man. It wasn't just the Marvel were like, we want to pay you to do a comic. It was like, we want you on our side. Like, yeah. we want you. We want you to look us favorably. So you're not just doing this one. We want you doing more in the future as well. So that's why at the beginning of 1602 in the original prints, I don't know if it continued, but de definitely in the original prints, at the beginning, one of the, like, there's like pages at the beginning of like credits and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. one of them is a thanks. It's like, thanks to Todd for making this happen. Oh, that's super cool. Exactly. Oh, he's such a dude, isn't he? Yeah. So I thought that was, we were doing this anyway. And then I saw this thing and I was like, oh, well, that, we have to talk about that. Again, if you want a more in-depth version of that rather than my banding together rat thoughts of things memories watch matt with 40s his video on todd mcfarlane it's uh goes into more depth there neil gaiman's one of those where everything i hear about him makes me like and respect him more have not heard a bad word about him well this is the thing terry pratchett again he's one of those who was beloved by his fans love talking to his fans they there there is a joke among booksellers that 
somebody walks into a bookshop with an unsigned Terry Pratchett first edition and someone goes, finally one that's worth some money. Yeah. Because he signed so many books for people that the unsigned ones become more valuable. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. It's more unusual to see an unsigned first first edition of Pratchett because he was just so generous with his fans. Mm. But he was also a very, like, um, no bullshit, straight talking kind of dude. For him to have spent any amount of his later years where he was just trying to get as much down on the page as he could... Mm. working with Neil Gaiman is a fucking testament to the man. Yep, yep. Like, for, for Pratchett to be like, this is the guy who I want to make stuff with, that's a special dude. Yeah. And he, and like, you know, um, his his Norse, his rewriting of the Norse mythology is fantastic. This was excellent. Yeah, I can't, yeah, I can't. I'm a massive Neil Gaiman fanboy. Yeah, and hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, uh, I haven't checked, but hopefully if he's doing some more comics, then maybe that'll, like, if he's doing some in modern day, like, now, then hopefully we can do something. Oh, if he wrote some, if he wrote some comics in 2024, they'd be like, cheers, man. Yeah. Like, cheers I mean, of the year. Maybe he'll hear this. He'll be like, you know what? I'll write some more comics. I'm going to do Marvel 1603. (laughs) Just for these guys. So now to the comic. Um, Starting, I think, as we normally do, start with the art. Starting with the arting, as I say, now, forever. Um, What did you think of the art? Good. Engaging. I thought very of its, like, very good for the setting. Like, very appropriate. Yeah, really good for the setting. Now, what you've got to consider is this in the context of early noughties Marvel. Where the art, what we've we've established, the art wasn't great in that era. Like it wasn't mm. some, it wasn't it wasn't their best stuff. Like the house style was very much imprinted at that point, wasn't it? This doesn't feel like Marvel house style art. No, and I think if you were if you were of any kind of intelligence in Marvel and you're getting Neil Gaiman on, you weren't going to be like, "Here's our house artist, and you've got to use him." Like they were like, "Who do you want to use? What, what do you want to do?" It looks fantastic. Yes. I love, I love, I mean, because obviously he had to create all of these unique character models, mm. but every every character had to be completely re-illustrated and redrawn and redesigned. I think Nick Fury looks amazing. I think Doctor Strange looks fantastic. Um, Thor looked incredible. Yeah. Like Thor looked how I imagine a Norse Thor. Thor, yeah. Like a proper, he looked like a proper Norse Thor. He didn't look like... He wasn't clean cut like no superhero version big and bearded and imposing he looked fantastic mm. like yeah everything about the art sucked me in the covers especially and i i i was gonna talk about them without having this specific wording which i yeah. got from the wikipedia support wikipedia if you can um <laughs> it was they noted that the covers were done by a scott McCowan or cowan who illustrated the distinctive scratchboard covers. Yeah. And I don't know what that, I didn't know what that was before looking at it, but now I see that's the style of the covers, which it does look like, a, everyone looked like a portrait, didn't yeah. it? Like, or the portrait style art. Um, also the penciling by Andy Kubert and digitally, digitally painted by uh, Richard Eisenhoff. So the digital painting sounds interesting. It feels like that's kind of what they had to do to get that, style in this one day so i think the, the the highest compliment i can pay the art and this isn't the case for every comic book is that i didn't have a lot of time to read this mm. so i read the first issue and the last issue really carefully and then mostly skimmed through the middle interesting like that's you know i i i i, I wasn't skim reading but i was reading quite quickly mm. and the art was doing so much of the work that i could tell what was going on without necessarily closely reading the dialogue because the art was so good at representing what was actually happening on mm. the page. 
And you can't say that for every comic book. And no, there's some where you go, you have to read the bubble carefully to be like, who is doing what now? Yeah, whereas even though this is quite a complex story with a lot of characters who have unique character art for this comic, so they're not just these recognisable costumes that yeah. you're seeing. Like, I got what was going on. Yeah, there, there were characters here who had really unique character models, which I won't get into because yep. it is a spoiler. Yep. <laughs> but instantly, without even really reading their dialogue, I was like, that's who that is. That's rad. And so, yeah, I think the art looked great. It was, the layout was there. Like, the layout wasn't saying much. It wasn't doing much for the story, I don't think. It wasn't badly laid out. It just wasn't saying much. I think it did a good job of just supporting the story. Because, yeah. like, like you say, the fact that each panel had showed very well what was happening, yeah. that panel layout, even though you don't notice as much, I think there's that kind of, that witchcraft behind the scenes of, like, it's doing stuff you don't even realise. That's yeah. how good it is. So I, I'm going to place it as good panel layout because you didn't notice it much and it was a complex story. Yeah. Especially with a lot of different characters, like you said. Totally. And one thing, semi-related to art, the font choices. Yeah. The different font for different characters. Normally, you only see that when it's, like, sometimes cool. it's just, like, a colour background of, like, if someone talks different, like, Deadpool famously always has yellow text yeah. speech and that's meant to represent that his his speech is like kind of rough and kind of like off yeah. like because of his his physical state but in this you had like my favorite one is dr doom yeah or in this one count doom i think it was yeah. count von doom or whatever count von doom yeah he all his font all his uh text is uh, and dialogue is in i don't know what you call it but it's that old timey like very posh letter writing it's style a gothic script yes and if you think about gothic trope um count dracula mm. and you know the gothic really the gothic was very much like a british idea and genre mm. gothic literature but it often represented people in mid-europe yeah it often represented people in middle europe and latvia or La latveria the the fictional one yeah. is obviously meant to be like eastern, eastern european europe, yeah. exactly yeah. and so again they're playing on these really well-worn tropes and then thor's scripts is a take on uh, Norse runes. He's almost using a like that T isn't actually a T. It's a Nordic rune that they've used and they've appropriated for Thor's scripts. Yeah, um, yeah, no, it's it, it's doing a lot of the work in showing you who these people are and where they're from. And yeah. again, they're these they're these really quick, brief signifiers as to what you're looking at on the page. But I think it's really effective because we clearly it was because we both clocked it. Yes. And again, it's just one of those fun things where like it doesn't take you out. You just yeah. go, oh, that's cool. Like It's form meeting function, man. Yes. It's, it's the form of the way they're presenting this thing to you, which is having some kind of functional storytelling effect. Mm. And I think that's really powerful. Yeah. In terms of the, before we get into the proper story, the characters, like that's obviously a big thing with this yeah. because... We, if you're a Marvel fan of any kind, you're reading this. Even when it first came out, you're reading this like who is who, and and the characters looked fantastic. Doctor mm. Strange looked great. Um, Sir Nicholas, Sir Nicholas Fury. Yep, I love Sir Nicholas. I was really upset that young Peter Parker didn't get to be Spider Man. Yeah, for the yeah, but without getting into the ending, the whatever happens or doesn't happen there, for the most part, reading it, I would say spoiler, but he is just he is P Peter Parker. And they really changes the spelling of Parker to be like, that's what it would be in the time, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, this is this is one of the interesting things is that in the Elizabethan era, spelling wasn't particularly well codified yet. Right. Um, and so there's always a joke that John Keats didn't know how to spell his own name. John Keats mm. being a Victorian poet. Um, because they didn't really codify and make consistent spellings in English until the Victorian era. 
Um, and so realistically, Peter Parker would have spelt his name different every time. And that that QH that they used, yeah. the specific phonetic way that they spelled it out is probably quite a common way that a very learned person would have made those sounds. Right. Somebody who was less educated probably would have used a more simple spelling. Um, so I think that was really there to signify class, a very early way of signifying class and status on the behalf of Nick Fury and Doctor Strange. Yeah. That the way they were spelling his name was like, they're using fancy English. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it was appropriate for the setting, obviously. Yeah. I noticed a lot with this. One thing that we, we talk a lot about, or I talk a lot about, um, when you're taken out of the comic. Yes. So when you're reading it, sometimes something will happen, it takes you out. And like, again, same with the font, they didn't take me out as much. It just gave me a little like, oh, that's cool. And then yeah. kept reading. Parts that took me out was, and I don't know if this is a thing <laughs> with Gaiman specifically or whatever, he was really heavy handed with some of the, ah, ah, ah. The main one I had that issue with was Daredevil. So... <laughs> You know exactly what I'm getting to. So there's a character who is blind, redhead, and yeah. called Matt or Matthew. And I'm the me like, that's Daredevil. Cyclops Fair enough. Though, wasn't it? No, no. It was oh, Daredevil. no, it was Daredevil. Nicholas. So yeah, yeah, Nicholas. Nicholas speaking to this guy. And it's obviously Daredevil. Um, and then when they're meeting with this agent who they don't know who it is or whatever, because they have to meet him in pitch black darkness, which again, I'm like, yeah. that's Daredevil. And then he jumps from the window, like from the ground, parkours to the window, like that's Daredevil. And then you get to the point where one of the lines of text where I had to write down was, uh, well, one I wrote down was, did I kiss the devil's rump? That's not to do with what I'm saying. I just thought that was a, a unique line that I had to make note of. But at one point, someone literally says about him, uh, no one could come to us here, sir, unless he was the devil himself. And that, that was when I went, all right, game and calm down. Like, we're not it's idiots. It's fun, isn't it? But again, it took me out. I'm like, yeah, why okay. did you have to go? And then uh, soon after that, because Daredevil's known as the man without fear. Yeah. Uh, I think Peter Parker says again. Well, he wasn't scared of the dark. And Nick Fury said he isn't scared of much. Exactly. Yeah. And I was like, come on, man. Like, yeah. we know, like, I uh, maybe it's game and having his own fun. Yeah. Being like, ah, wink, wink, <laughs> not, it's Daredevil. But he only does it for Daredevil. Yeah. Or not only, he does it for some others as well. I imagine it probably is just him having a bit of fun. Maybe. And again, it might be. I'm still saying this is a good, a great book overall. Is my that is my little tidbit of like I'm gonna make a note of this because it took me out of the fiction for a little bit. Like, yeah. So I had to make a note of that. But otherwise, I think it's all good transition of of characters. Gaiman is a fan of the authorial aside, right? Um, I don't know if you know what an authorial aside is. I mean, obviously I do, but just in case some of the listeners the might not know, yeah. So an authorial aside is when the author, as a narrator, takes a moment to speak directly to the reader. Yes, and there was one specific instance of that yep yeah um and he does it in his books he is not as brazen about it as somebody like terry pratchett is right terry pratchett fucking loves an authorial aside mm. um terry pratchett will make ref specific references to like technology as a narrator in a setting where that technology doesn't exist and so for a minute you go, okay, so this is a narrator who is aware of the world that I actually live in and is telling me a story about a fantasy world, right? So yep. he's really bad for it. Gaiman will just wink at the reader. And like Gaiman, Gaiman really does in kind of almost inject himself as an authorial presence in his story sometimes. And so for me, that was like, oh, hello. <laughs> mm. Oh, it's nice to see you, bud. Like, oh, it's nice that you're here. Thank you. My main takeaway from that was the fact that there were sometimes dinosaurs in this. And it's 
spoiler, maybe minor spoiler, it's never addressed. Well, Elizabethan England famously had dinosaurs in it. Well, yeah, besides that point, obviously. We all we all know that. Historically accurate. Yes. But it's when he, he says it and the, the the artist goes, hey, what about the dinosaurs? And he's like, not now, Andy. And that to me felt like that was, again, game having a little bit of fun. He's like, I'm going to put dinosaurs in this. He's like, why? It's like, who cares? Like, because I can. Yeah. And fair enough. To be fair, as a Marvel fan, I started going, oh, is this the Savage Lands? Because in, <laughs> in Marvel, there's a part of the Earth where the dinosaurs still exist in what they call the Savage Lands. So I was like, oh, it's the Savage Lands. And then by the end, I was like, it wasn't the Savage Lands. <laughs> it was just gaming, having a laugh. It was just London. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> in terms of characters, and this goes a little more towards the story, but the whole kind of subplot of what they call the witch breed, yeah. which is essentially mutants, but I think it does also just generally encompass anyone superpowered or any, or magical or anything. Yeah, um, having Xavier and his mutants being like again this school like they are normally. But I thought what was especially great was having uh, what turned out to be, and this is a minor spoiler, but you'll clock on very quickly if you know Marvel, um, the Inquisitor turning out to be Magneto. Yeah, uh, I especially love that because that was him basically being like he going behind the scenes and doing diabolical stuff to like gain power and yeah. and that you never really find out what he wanted Xavier and his people for, and I don't think power. that's a spoiler because. But it's never really said why, because yeah. at one point he's, he's kind of doing moves to try and get them. Yeah. Not get them as like hurt them, like get them literally like acquire them essentially. And it's never really explained what for what reason. Just very quickly going back to what you were saying about little jokes and authorial asides. Yep. You missed my favorite one from the whole thing. Okay. Um, Doctor Strange's house yeah. in, in the original comics is 177A Bleecker Street. Yes. Do you know where Bleecker Street is in New York? No, uh, Greenwich? It's in Greenwich yeah. Village. I literally didn't get that until you posed that. So it's, yeah, in that is good. it's in Greenwich Village. And then yeah. when we cut to Doctor Strange's house... In Greenwich. It's in Greenwich in London. And I was like, oh shit! Yep. <laughs> and again, near game and exactly like, this will be fun. Yeah, and this is it. Like, he didn't need to do that, but it's funny. Yes. Like, it's a fun little bit for him because he's like, Americans won't realise that Greenwich Village is named after the Greenwich in London. Yeah. And I so when they're like oh, mate, they've said that Greenwich Village is in London. It's like, no, Greenwich yeah. is in London. Do they make also reference to York as well? Yeah. I, think that, I don't know if that was as explicit, but I think that was a little like New York, York, York. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. And again, I mean, you know, yeah, no, I just I just thought that those little jokes were so gaming and they mm. were so well-placed and funny and knowing that I know they took you out of it sometimes, but for me, they really sold this as a period piece. If it's if it's just a fun little bit, then uh, it's fine. Again, the Daredevil stuff for me, it wasn't like fun. It was just kind of like, I felt like you're, he was like, again, I now realize it's a joke, but it felt in the moment of like, hey, idiots, this is Daredevil. Like, that's what it kind of felt I like mean, to me. I mean, because they couldn't really show us Daredevil, they had to show him in... But that, that it was the same for all of them, wasn't it? It was like, he's, he's the Elizabethan version of it. But they showed him in silhouette. They only showed him in darkness and silhouette. Only when he was like actively dead. Yeah, he was, I suppose. He was, he was Matt Murdock, the Irish um, bard, yeah. essentially, wasn't he? Um, I, there was a little clue that like what I thought was really cool, like foreshadowing was Matt is singing these songs. And one of the songs, I don't know if all of them were, but at least a few of them were about the four travelers. Yeah. And like the, like a kind of Odyssey style thing, which plays later into the plot. And I thought that was really cool as well. Also making him a bard is really interesting on a historical level. Mm. Do you know much about Elizabethan and medieval bards? I mean, obviously I do, but just in case for the listeners, you know, explain it for them. They were often spies. That's very good. They were, so bards, bard, bard, like lute players particularly. 
and Matt Murdock is playing a loot here, um, would often end up being spies because every court needed a loot player. And the most well, most highly paid position you could get as a loot player was playing the king to sleep. Right. And so you would be in the king's chamber playing music for him, often all day while stuff was happening. Mm. And so bards were really, really common targets for foreign players foreign powers to pay off as spies right and so for matt murdoch to be a be a loot player it makes sense for the daredevil character because he's like in the center of court he's going to all these different wealthy people's houses and playing loot for them and listening while they talk yeah and that's the interesting thing here is like again he's a lot he's a bard it's funny he sings songs bards are kind of comical figures now mm. thanks to like D and the witcher you know the, the trope of the horny bard yes but actual elizabethan bards were quite powerful people because they had all of this knowledge they had all of this knowledge of what was going on in the different courts Mm. so again making matt murdoch a blind bard just such a clever little character thing and again you wouldn't really realize that unless you knew a fair bit about british history you know and i think as a transition to get more into the story i think the fact that there are these little tidbits yeah which are great if you get them it doesn't take away if you don't. Like, I didn't get most of these references. Yeah. I, I, I got the superhero references. I didn't get, obviously, the historical references. Yeah. But it didn't, I wasn't, it did not ruin the story at all. I was like, why is this like this? Like, yeah. they're just fun little things. Great writing is when you can add things for people when it doesn't detract from the main story. This operates on t- on a few really different levels. One of them is that lots of fun superhero shenanigans. Yeah. Lots of really fun reimaginings of the superheroes, but he's rooted it in a historical setting and he's tethered it. All these little facts and points. For our, for our listeners, Jamie is is gesturing tethering. Yeah, like with pulling my hands. At, pulling at strings and bringing them together. Yeah, he's tethered it to all these interesting little historical facts and realities mm. that as somebody who doesn't know as much about comics, but knows a fair bit about history, I was reading it going, huh, that's clever. Yep. Oh, that's funny. Oh, that's really cool. Like when Thor turns up on the ship and he's like, I guided my people to this land before. I'm like, the Vikings got to the Americas before the Spanish did. Like, that's very true. Fun little tidbit. Yeah. And then also there was this moment where Thor turns up and I'm like, oh, well, that's a bit silly because now that Thor's here, the one Christian God has been disproved. And, you know, all of a sudden they're, you know, that's that's a plot hole. And then a page later this character explains exactly what I was thinking. And mm. I was like, fucking Neil Gaiman. <laughs> so good. I think I, I, try, I, I had a thing earlier and I, I don't know if I noted it down. I was try, th- th- I'm going to cut this if I can't actually get the point. Yeah. But I was trying to think of a thing where it seemed like a plot hole earlier. And yeah. then by the end, I was like, oh, actually, that makes sense now. And I, I'll see if I come back to it later if, when we talk about the kind of spoiler stuff. And I think that's something really interesting that you can do in comics where you know that a lot of the readers are reading for plot holes. Yes. Comic book readers are a bit like that, aren't they? Yeah. It, when you when you play so much with science fiction and magic, I think a lot of people hold it to like, it has to follow its own rules. Yeah. That's amazing. Like, so people who are not into it, when like, what's the old thing? Like, like Superman shouldn't have that power. They can't suspend their disbelief. Yeah people who don't realize it's like why like he flies now super strength like why does it matter like and so for neil gaiman to introduce what look like little plot holes and then to pay them off later and yes. then and go well actually yeah <laughs> it's just fantastic yeah like it's so playful it's so fun 
Great writing, generally. We've not really talked about the story yet, and I'm conscious that I we have I've rabbited on. I'm sorry. No, 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 we're sorry. I said I think the only main thing I would say before we get into spoilers, the only thing I want to kind of give to someone if they haven't read it, what I really liked again is the the impending sense of doom that yeah. starts from kind of page one. Yeah. What I really liked about that is typically you don't see that with historical pieces. No. And I think the reason is, this is speculation on my part, I think there's a thing where if you're reading something like this, if it's in the past, you don't feel like there's any stakes. Even though all fiction, everything, like you can do anything as they have done in this with with any time period. Yeah. There's a feeling, I think, where if it's in the past, you go, well, obviously everything's going to be fine because I exist in in the modern era yeah. so it's like obviously the world's not gonna end and again it's fiction so it, it could it actually could but the feeling does feel the same whereas yeah. if you said in one day and there's like an impending apocalypse that just feels a bit more like oh this is everything could end yeah and i think he did it really well here where by having the superheroes and everything it's like this is not your 1602 this yeah. is not your history this is the setting and that's why the apocalypse feels a bit more real and more at stakes yeah absolutely I think I again. This is I think as much as we can recommend it to someone who hasn't who hasn't read it. Definitely so if, read it. It's yeah, fantastic. Absolutely read it. Eight issues, miniseries. The issues are a little longer than your typical issue. I think that's because it's a miniseries and the dialogue's dense. Yes, but the dialogue you, again you can you can skim the longer paragraphs and still get like the the story. Oh yeah, dense is wrong. It's rich. Yes, yeah. it's rich and it's it's better written than I would say ninety percent of comic books are by the yeah. virtue of being written by neil gaiman yes 100 percent. that's yeah. the thing it's it's written by a fantastic wordsmith and somebody who's um you know he's a lifelong bibliophile he mm. spent his entire childhood in a library alone with a librarian reading yeah that's neil gaiman's background and for that guy to sit down and present a comic book in an antiquated voice mm. it's gonna be rich it's gonna be a little bit dense but it's still fantastic yes and i i like the the character interactions and the the smaller character relationships in setting against again this end of the world kind of feeling yeah i think he did a great job of that it's probably his bread and butter anyway yeah like so yeah if you haven't read it go read it we're about to just get into everything now i think most of the stuff we want to talk about is in the spoilers generally yeah. so we're about to get into it pause here quickly read eight issues come back listen to us talk Smash about the, out the last yeah. half hour of the podcast you know and if you haven't gone yet just the other thing in terms of like dialogue that took me out of it or references yeah. there's a bit where fury's talking to hate what's it called um it's not charles he's carlos ha- carlos havia carlos havia yeah. uh or havia yeah whatever um one bit where he's talking about his mutants and he's talking he he says a line which is sometimes i dream of building a room in which dangers yeah. would come from nowhere what do you think is <laughs> The the use of training in the modern X Men is called. <laughs> if you had know. to guess, so the again, danger room. It's the danger room. Yeah, <laughs> and the fact that he was like, if I only had some kind of room with that I could pose dangers to them to train against, and I was again, I was like, all right, gay, and like, yeah, come but on, that's man. cool. That's cool. Like he's it was taking just a, these... a bit heavy handed for yeah. Me. That's all. But again, that I laughed. I was like, oh. But he's right. winking at you. Yeah. He's uh, like, as he's doing that, he's going, I know this is a bit silly, but here you have, have this, have yeah. this fun little line. I was like, all right, man. I also like the imagery, and this is a quite a commonly used thing in Marvel the imagery of Angel as yeah, like a captured angel kind right. of thing. That is used quite a bit. But also, if you have that character, and especially in this time, I think it'd be weird if you didn't 
use yeah. him in that way. I thought the X-Men being here was rad. Yeah, the X-Men and the what would become the Brotherhood of Mutants. Yeah. Again, not Brotherhood of Evil Mutants like they used to call themselves. <laughs> the rebranded, just, we're just Brotherhood of Mutants now. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Magneto's story I thought was very cool. They yeah. still incorporate his um, his Jewish ancestry into yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know what that like specific time period was like for Ooh, stuff like that. Not right. Not a fun time to be Jewish in Britain. No, no. Jews mm. were very, very, very disliked. Yeah, I mean the the root the roots of anti-Semitism in Europe run deep, particularly in Britain. Right. Is is the the kindest and most simple way of putting that without going into too much history. Um, but particularly in the late medieval and Elizabethan areas, it was a real, real tough time to be Jewish in the UK. Right. And so the the fact that Magneto is this guy who's who's been adopted by the the Catholic Church yeah. and is their kind of like their their inquisitor, like someone who is literally like charging and finding these like witch breed. And again, the witch breed, like that use of the mutant like story in this in this age was pretty good as well. I thought it was yeah, I thought it was a really great way of grounding it. Yeah. And then reading it, I was kind of like, is this Magneo? I'm almost certain it's Magneo. And I thought it was a cool reveal with the assassination attempt. And like, ooh, that blaze. Like, yeah, it's the finest steel. Like, well, there's there's your problem, because it's steel. And like immediately just yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. like mind melts it. And or the mind melts it and the fucking helmet comes down. Yeah. You're like, oh my god, it's Magneto. Yeah. Um, in terms of the story as it went, the reveal into it is that it's not just an isolated alternate timeline. It actually is a result of the modern day. And this is where... So they bring in the um, the Watcher character, yeah. Watu, I think his name is, the Watcher. He's he's like the what if, like, mm. he watches from the moon and he sees all realities and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, the alien thing tripped me out a little bit when i first yeah. saw it and as soon as it got into that that's when i kind of went oh game is going in this direction well because i was skimming at that point mm. and then i saw those panels and went here's a second and <laughs> went back a few Go pages back. and read it really carefully for a bit and i was like right it makes sense now i'm one I'm, I'm with it and i actually remember what i thought was going to be the plot hole that actually panned out so yeah. in the story watu manages to speak to uh dr strange yeah. And the problem with that is the whole watcher thing is they're like, we watch, we don't interfere. Yeah. And then the plot is that he speaks to Doctor Strange, but in speaking to Doctor Strange and literally telling him all that's happening, he then goes, also, you can't do anything about it now. <laughs> basically, like, as long as you're alive, you cannot, in fact, part this information or do anything about it. Yeah, but Doctor so, Strange works that one out, doesn't exactly. he? Exactly. <laughs> so I read that. And because the Watcher thing, that is such a big thing in Marvel of like, they right, watch, they cannot okay. do. Um, so I was like, is this just like explaining the plot for the audience or for the reader, but not it, and it's not going to impact the story? Yeah. And I thought that was a bit, not a plot hole, but just seemed like wasted energy. And then it turns out Doctor Strange gets executed, head lopped off, and then he's like, I'm dead now, and I'm still kind of alive, but I'm dead, so I can now tell you well, what's going on. his wife just pulls his severed head out of a mm. barrel. So my husband would like to talk to you. He's like, didn't he get executed? Like, yeah, here's his head. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, yeah, he's dead, but he's also here. <laughs> yeah. I, there was a fun little line in that scene where she says, oh, yeah, one of the naval men got into, we, we preserved it in rum. Yeah. Because we thought it would be less invasive than salt or smoke. Uh, one of the sailors got into it and went mad. <laughs> yeah. If you drink the, the preservative of Doctor Strange's head, like <laughs> you're you are going to go a bit mad. You're going to have the most intense trip you could ever have and then die, probably. <laughs> and I hope that's canon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, just around him just feels weird. Yeah. Like, um, the Watcher character, one thing that's interesting is 
like when he was actually brought in it was actually back in like the original fantastic four he was he was part of the galactus story and the whole problem was galactus coming to earth fantastic four like what do we do it's like he literally eats planets we can't do anything and then the watcher his whole thing was like look i'm watching i can't really do anything (laughs) but maybe there's like a weapon on galactus's ship that might stop him or whatever yeah and that was his kind of like i'm not i'm not interfering i'm just saying maybe hypothetically if you went and got that thing that might save the day i'm just saying hypothetically if you went and did that thing i wouldn't interfere with that yeah right exactly yeah (laughs) so i thought like gaming obviously i think he was probably a fan of that like original 60s fantastic four active non-intervention yes exactly Um, getting into the the kind of end of the world thing, which becomes like the main point of all this. Yeah. Um, I think the the revelation of like there being a character, uh, one of the characters was from actually from the future. Again, Guess who it was? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I think you are still breaking that sixty no two feeling, the Elizabeth yeah. feeling, with introducing this future stuff. But he did like four big issues of just period stuff uh, yeah no he did and i think the character the character was so well introduced mm. and the way they got around captain america existing before america yeah the, you know the, the spoiler word- is it's captain america because you know where the word america comes from no it's no a bloke's name wow maybe, maybe, a- was it captain america <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 literally just a dude's name some spanish bloke not columbus right. obviously mm. it's a dude's lee ferrickson the other the viking no no so leave out no ah. it's it's a blow it was a cartographer right cartographer who drew a famous map he was the first person to draw a semi-accurate like map rep- of the americas yeah like a, a half decent cartographical image of the americas and yeah. so it ended up being named after him in this roundabout way right um he might have even been italian I forget the exact story now, but it's named after a cartographer right. who I don't even think had ever been there. Fair enough. I definitely felt like an idiot because I didn't see it coming who it would be. And when it was revealed, I was like, oh, I'm an idiot. <laughs> so on the one hand, I'm getting at Gaiman for being like, I'm not an idiot. You don't have to spell it out this dead <laughs> all. And then at the end, I was like, you clever bastard. The one like, you thing, got me. The one thing he didn't spell out for yeah. you, you didn't get. Like, you, you got me. <laughs> You intentionally hit it. And looking back, so there's a character called Rojas, yeah. I read as, and then uh, at the realisation going, oh, Rogers. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Did you not clock it? I did not clock it. I clocked it, him in, like, a big blonde man called Rojas. I was like, mm. I reckon I know who that is. So the problem was, I was looking at it on the surface level, of like, what character is this? Yeah. And here's the, here's the added thing with that. Also, there's a point where he literally grabs a, a drinks tray and throws it like a shield. Again, yeah. I was like, <laughs> I should have seen that. <laughs> But what yes. what muddles it slightly is he is the bodyguard for this little girl yeah. who is the daughter of the colonists from the Americas back in England Again, pleading for money. Did that not? Well, so but here's the thing: <laughs> he's the American. Yeah. Well, no, she's the American. He's yeah. he's the Native American. Do you see what I mean, though? Like yeah. it makes a lot of sense. Doesn't so it? here's what muddled it is: I was racking my brain trying to think who the little girl was, right. what she was. Especially after she has this transformation into a, was it a griffin or something? Yes. And then they get into like, oh yeah, she touched this magical infinity kind of power and that gave her these powers. Yeah. So the problem is, I'm thinking, who is this character? Maybe it's not one I just didn't know. I looked up after I finished it yeah. and basically what happened was the readers were like, oh, that's this character called Snowbird, who is this minor character. I think she's part of Alpha Flight and she turns into animals that are white. So everyone's right. or an animal. I think she turns into one animal. Right. So everyone's like, oh, that's Snowbird. And then Neil Gaiman went, no, it's not. 
<laughs> and they was like, who else could it be? And he was like, it's an original character. So I was like, hang on. So you made an original character who is really close to an existing <laughs> Marvel character that you've used a bunch of others as well. But it's this instance, it's not her. And he was like, yeah. Fair, yeah. right, fair enough. In gaming, we trust. And maybe that is, again, maybe that was what threw off me as a, a Marvel reader yeah. to be like, well, if, who is she? Because that would inform who this Rojas guy is. Yeah. And then, but maybe she and herself was a bit of a red herring to hide people. Like, I think a lot of people like me were like, who is this girl? Like, fuck the bodyguard. Like, who is, the, who is she meant to be? Yeah. And then it was like, that was actually a distraction from the obvious character placement of Captain America. Yeah. And I think, I mean, him coming back from the future is whatever it is. Yeah. Like, it's superhero shenanigans, but it, we needed some superhero shenanigans to justify the setting, I think. Yes, exactly. Um, And again, I think it was quite well dealt with when he had that flashback. And we see, mm. like, an old golden era uh, Captain America illustration. Yeah, and, and it was Spider-Man Daredevil had aged yeah. and, and were arrested. So it's like yeah. a no superheroes kind of dystopian future. Yeah. That was a bit, that was a little bit of a plot for me was like, he was like, they tried to execute me and they accidentally sent me back in time. Yeah, like, a bullet through, yeah. I mean, how were they executed? Were they thrown you into a black hole? And I think that would have annoyed me more had he labored the explanation. Yeah, it was quick and I was just like, oh, what? And then we were past it. So I was like, oh, fine, I guess. You know, you can imagine him sitting there for 20 minutes going, I need a reason that he goes back in time. And then he goes, everything else is more important. Yeah. <laughs> I like the Fantastic Four reveal. Yes. Like, I saw that one coming a mile off, but get I think there's a thing with fiction where there's a thing uh, to quickly relate it to wrestling. There's a thing where with wrestling, there's like... No tangents, like, Jamie. <laughs> there's a thing with plot reveals where it's like, if they're, if they're not predictable, are they? does that make them automatically good? And it's not. Or yeah. if they're overly predictable, does that make them bad? And, you know, the, I think the reasonable consensus is just because a uh, twist or a plot twist or whatever or reveal is predictable doesn't make it bad if anything actually supports the reader paying attention George R. R. Martin wrote a blog post about this hmm. where he said that because obviously he'd, he's been writing the Song of Ice and Fire series for so long probably will never finish it <laughs> probably will never finish it a bunch of people worked out the big ending hmm. like the the TV show they always said was going to end the same way that the books are going to end right but they're just going to get there by a different journey a right? much worse faster journey yeah, yeah yeah and so the idea that Jon snow turns out to be Aegon targaryen yeah. was always george R. R. martin's plan for the books and he's been laying if you if you go back through the books now with hindsight and actually reread a lot of it there's little clues to that being the case yeah and so he said i was on forums game like song of ice and fire thought forums back in the day and people worked it out people had really correctly worked out what was going on and he said i had to decide whether or not I changed the story so that it would be fresh and, you know, something that people hadn't guessed. But then he said all of these little hints I gave to it throughout the books that were driving towards this ending now don't make any sense. Yeah. So he's like, that's still how I'm going to end it. And the fact that people worked it out is a testament to how well I wrote the story. Yes. He's like, it's a testament to the fact that my readers are engaged enough with my story that they're noticing these little intricacies and these little plot points that lead up to mm. this. And it wasn't so obvious that everyone got it, but because of the internet, you had people, the people who worked out were able to tell everyone else on a wider scale. Yeah, totally. And again, this all happened before a Game of Thrones TV show. So it was, you know, the couple hundred thousand people that read the books mm. as opposed to the millions of people that watched the show that cared. And then it got confirmed by the TV show, essentially. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, but again, yeah, I think it's really interesting that actually when you're writing well, everything should be building towards the actual ending. And yeah. if, if, if these little plot points and these intricacies in the plot don't point towards what's actually happening in the story, 
for me that's kind of an unsuccessful story yeah like i by the end i want to have kind of worked out what's happening at the end of a book because everything that's happened before is leading up to the end right yeah for me that's successful writing that's good writing when that happens and then you get if you don't do that you get twists for the sake of twists like people going out of their way to make it unpredictable that it then becomes a plot hole and i don't know how i feel about big plot twists like it's i mean you see it less in fiction now i think and you see it less in film as well really like you don't get big blockbuster films with big twisty plots as much as you did in the 90s do you no not as much and so yeah i mean i think again the ending that we got i think for for for, for me the seeing these characters in this in this novel setting mm. and seeing the history seep in in the way it did and all of these little things that were informed by history and the wider marvel universe was what was interesting yeah the actual raw plot itself was kind of secondary for me. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the plot. But I, yeah, the biggest thing was the setting and how they did it. Yeah. Although that being said, I, I catch myself. I Again, I did like some of the twists. Like, like I said, yeah. the Fantastic Four one was predictable, but I enjoyed it when it happened. The the rod, the, the Captain America one should have been predictable and I enjoyed it more, but I didn't. Um, I did find it weird that he chose not to speak lot like yeah that was never really explained it was a good reveal when he was like well actually now that you ask it's like oh you can talk normally but it's like why didn't you talk normally but steve earlier? rogers was quite quiet not, steve, not steve, normally steve rogers wasn't overly quippy was he not quippy but he spoke more than four words at yeah time. Like, okay, that's, yeah that just seems like i think game was like pushing this this twist for later and yeah. fair, it didn't take me out of it but it's just afterwards i was uh, only when i finished it that i i thought about it afterwards like well that was a bit weird and i think that steve rogers still had an intense sense of duty towards this new country yeah it was interesting oh yeah that's that's like the core character despite again because he is the real captain america he's not a one from the he's not a transposed one in this setting he is the actual steve rogers isn't he yeah um yeah i liked steve rogers in this yeah. I, I liked him throughout i thought he was interesting and fun i think my favorite twist and i think this is a, the biggest credit to gaiman's writing and plotting was the thor reveal yeah so with that you had this talk of this weapon from jerusalem that was coming in it was going to be like a game changer and everyone it became a MacGuffin in a sense and then i loved the the red herring not only for the reader but for for the characters so yeah. for Do- doom specifically in this cart that's trav this transporting this weapon he finds the big shiny thing and he's like oh this must be it then and, and he's actually like, just a stick yeah and, and he's trying to like crack open this it's like a a, a gold sphere yeah. that he's like trying to break open and he's like consulting reed richards who he's got in captivity and he's like maybe if i try acid or maybe if i get lightning and all this and then it turns out to be the thing to disfigure him <laughs> as the modern doom um but all this and you you as a reader i found myself being like is that it was only in a obvious point where it's like oh this is not the thing yeah and then the real like where's the cart is still there it's like yeah it's like well they won't have done anything about this stick that's like really innocuous and then the reveal as soon as i saw the stick i, I knew what it was but i was but because i only got it at that point i was like that's a good reveal oh so what yeah i didn't clock that so the stick only got so we've talked about the original thor the original comics thor yeah it was donald blake and he would have a walking stick that he would hit the ground and that would become thor's hammer so that's the reason i got it but a lot of a lot of modern readers won't get that because they haven't done that version of thor 
like for ages and especially because of the mcu thor yeah so that for me only knowing that reference and again a lot of because the old man gets the power of thor doesn't he yeah thor doesn't turn up he it's it's the og comic book thor isn't it yes and that retcon later to become that thor was donald blake and it was the stick would unlock his true self but at the time when they were writing it that was never the plan it was literally a normal person being given the power of whomever holds this gets the power of thor exactly yeah so and they kind of wove that into the mcu because then that became the key to the real thor getting his powers back so he who we be worthy get the powers of thor and thor being like that's my powers like you took them away from me i have to get the thing back and become worthy just to be myself again but yeah i thought that was a really good reveal it didn't affect the plot that much but i was just enjoying it so much i was like yeah thor's here now cool and thor was great yes like thor looked good he was he was thor yeah they also did an interesting thing with the Jean Grey reveal mm. or the John Grey. Did you catch that? Nope. So I obviously knew Jean Grey. I was like, John Grey. I immediately was like, oh, it's it's she is pretending to be a man because I guess that's just easier in this time. Um, it was they did a weird thing with with Angel. He was like, I was in love with John Grey and I thought it was a he was a man. Yeah, so I didn't really clock it until then. Yeah. <laughs> that's the point. Like after after the reveal and they were talking about it, I was like oh that's who that was and that's why that right like it makes sense yeah that was a weird place to reveal for me because that was in yeah. the middle of like all the big shit happening towards right? the end and then angel be like yeah i didn't know uh i didn't know she was a girl and i, I was in love with her anyway and it's like <laughs> i i like that and cyclops general... is there just like all right mate <laughs> yeah because he he was in love with gene gray the woman yeah um or the girl whatever ages they were who knows but i think that like we just felt like a weird point to resolve that storyline yeah, i feel like totally. if you'd done that a bit earlier before it got really important but then i get i don't know maybe it felt game and felt like that was a, a final twist kind of thing the stakes were quite high at this point weren't yeah. they? like peter parker was on his way to do some assassinating and, and... Jean gray had just died at that point yeah yeah to overworked her powers to death which yeah. is a thing in the comics like, she was dead peter parker was fully on his way to go do some assassinating like shit was getting serious wasn't it yeah so it felt weird tied to be like actually i'm gay and like <laughs> It's like, it was the noise. As, but, but yeah, but as a, as I think if I was a character, and I'd be like, "Good for you, <laughs> great." Can we sideline this until we're sort of the end of the world, <laughs> bollocks? We, like, there might not be a world for you to be gay in yeah. soon. Can we deal with let's this? Let's put a pin in that for now. <laughs> let's do the let's do the end of the world stuff first. Then we'll we'll, we'll get you a flag. Yeah, <laughs> just for now. We'll circle back to that. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree with you. But yeah, that's again, that is all nitpicking. That is yeah. not a genuine criticism that's just like that felt a bit weird on looking back yeah. um by the end once they resolve it all and without getting into too much of the revolution resol- resolution because i think we don't need to talk about that yeah uh, but so if you're still listening if you haven't read it like read it just for the ending i think is a good thing yeah it's fantastic they do some weird points at the end where they kind of justify why they had certain characters in there so the biggest one being peter parker yeah so we mentioned before about the the, the him not having the spider powers yeah there's a bit where he's in Doctor Strange's house and Doctor Strange's like, yeah, there's these spiders here and uh, like, I don't know what will happen if you got bit by one, but there's some crazy stuff going. So me, you're like, oh, he's going to become Spider-Man. And then he doesn't till right at the very end yeah. where somehow this <laughs> magic spider came to America with them. Yeah. Or somehow. 
that felt to me i was like that was game and shoehorning in like and and, and they nodded to it right at the start because yeah. before you know who peter is you see him playing with this spider yes. and nick fury kills it and he's like peter what are you doing and you're like oh there we go he's like i just love spiders <laughs> yeah, yeah totally <laughs> I just love them and so like they'd hinted at it and they'd done what they needed to do i think it would have been interesting because there is a spider-man 1602 isn't there yes the spin-off after this and so, so it would have been interesting if we'd have actually seen a peter parker origin story in this new context yeah and they kind of robbed that not robbed us of it but we didn't really i don't know if we get that yeah now. it just felt weird the game and used the peter park character and then didn't give him the spider powers till the end yeah. it would have made more sense i think if he'd never given them yeah. and at least it just had that um foreshadowing of like maybe there might be a spin-off with spider-man 1602 yeah but the fact that he was like oh shit at the end uh spider's there and it bites <laughs> him i was like that that felt a bit like rushed in the last minute i almost feel as though that could have been Somebody at Marvel got hold of it and looked at it and yeah. went, mate. Look, Gaiman, you've read it now. You, you've made it. Can we just have him be Spider-Man? Like, uh, and, and somebody might have gone, somebody might have had exactly the same thought as you is. Yeah. A 1602 Spider-Man spinoff would be cool. Yeah. Um, can we just chew on this in, please, just to set it up, right? And yeah. in this kind of medium that's produced kind of by committee in the yeah. way these comic books are, it's not inconceivable that that happened. No, no, you're, yeah, that's uh, not reckless speculation. I think that's uh, probably as close to reality as we're going to find out. Yeah, it's. I mean, we we will never know, but it's entirely mm. possible. And Un- I think until we read the sixteen oh two Spider Man. <laughs> yeah, and again, I think that you know it's worth noting that actually we talk shit about the comic book industry a lot on this podcast, and we talk yep. about how damaging it is for the people who work in it. But it is the machine by which we get these stories. Yes. And so you kind of have to go, yeah, we have to make some concessions to consumerism here because this is a this is a highly consumerist medium, isn't it? You know, it's there to sell you comic books. It's there to sell you comic books regularly. It's there to sell you merch. Yes. There's also, they did the same thing with the Bruce Banner character, who again, was so lightly shown of like, you know that guy? It's Bruce Banner. Oh, we see Grey Hulk, and yeah. Grey Hulk's a big thing in Marvel, isn't he? Like, Grey yes. Hulk's, the, the original Hulk was grey, right? So, original Hulk was grey, they changed his colour green, and then later on, there was a big storyline where um, Bruce got rid of the Hulk, he separated Bruce Banner from the Hulk, but then it became that Bruce Banner, because of the gamma radiation, needed a Hulk as like an outlet for the yeah. gamma radiation, so his body made another Hulk, and that was the Grey Hulk, right. who was like smarter, actually like could talk, and well, but wasn't as strong as the so is this So is this the kind of mid-sized Hulk that we see in the late stage MCU? Should be the same size Hulk, but um, so MCU Hulk always been green. Maybe they'll do a Grey Hulk later. Well, no, because in the later series, Bruce Banner is always Hulk, but he's still Bruce yeah, Banner so as well, right? Smart Hulk separate to Grey Hulk. Like Grey Hulk right. is Grey Hulk actually becomes a Las Vegas bodyguard or like an enforcer in Las <laughs> Vegas, and he has a big suit. Yeah, he has a big suit with a hat, and he calls himself Joe Fix It because Joe will fix it. That's aged like fine milk, hasn't it? I mean, they brought him back. They actually bring him back. Well, somewhat. no, but the reference. What? Oh, <laughs> that's uh, yeah. for our American oh, listeners. Yeah, would get that. Yeah, yeah the only Brit- British people will know exactly what I'm referencing. For Americans, just Google Jimmy Savile. Yes, unfortunately. Unfortunately, Jimmy Savile noted. Yeah, but they. <laughs> I think they did this back in the eighties. So. Yeah, Grey Hulk, I don't think they knew at the time. It was just like, it was a gangster thing. It was like, the the fixer was like the gangster who like yeah. took care of stuff. But yeah, weird. They did weird Hulk stuff later. Um, 
But yeah, at this but point... But we it, see him for one panel, don't we? Yes, it, that felt like, a, oh, there's a Hulk in this universe now as well kind of thing. Yeah. I was like, all right, fine. Like, it doesn't detract, but it doesn't really give it much. Again, in retrospect, it does feel like the very ending was them being like, you need to tee up this as a whole series. Yes, and I think that was explicit because it was... It, the Watcher is literally like, this universe should not have existed once they fixed everything because it shouldn't have existed in the first place. But now I've isolated it into this separate universe so it can go on kind of thing. And I was like, fair enough. Like, that's, uh, yeah, like, I would like to see more from this. So that makes sense. Do you sometimes wonder if the, like, the Watcher is just a metaphor for Marvel or comic book readers? Well, there was a big thing in the MCU and even pre-MCU, Stan Lee would make all these um, uh, cameos in uh, Marvel films, even back to like Spider-Man and X-Men. So that was, but that was like the Fox film. So before Disney uh, MCU. And then the fan theory was that he is the watcher because he is, he is the one character who's going into all these scenarios just to watch what's happening from the sidelines. And then in guardians of the galaxy two, they confirmed that. So they had the watchers looking like they do in this and there's Stanley in like a, in, in a, um, like a, uh astronaut suit for some reason right but he's like and one time i, I was the the postman for the fantastic four and they're just like mm, yes interesting was stanley already dead at that point no he he only died like i, I don't know exactly when a i think years like, ago. a few years ago yeah but he he was in i think his last cameo was in um uh, he did like a post-mortem cameo i think captain marvel so that was the last one he filmed and then he passed away and then it was so in the they film. did one posthumously yes and they i think did one with um ai or something to yeah but like of all, love that yeah but of, of all there's a there's a debate about like should we be putting dead celebrities in things out or dead actors and things afterwards like even if the estate agrees it's still a bit weird i think stanley is like the exception is like he fucking loved doing this in real life so doing it after his death is like you knew that was all he was really big on being in these films and i think and i think with the new technology we have now we're going to see more and more of it we're going to see more people being posthumously injected into films because the first big one was that bloke in the fast and furious yes paul paul walker yes yeah they they got paul walker's brother in and then Hmm. cg'd paul walker's face over over his brother's face didn't they yes which to me felt really dystopian but again paul walker's family loved it and the fans loved it but it's so hard because does somebody do we have to do we have to honor somebody's bodily autonomy after they pass because ultimately they can never care anymore yeah but also, would that person have cared? And do we honour what they wanted or do we do what everyone else wants? And I think it's a really complicated question that is going to become more and more prevalent as we now have access to people's voices and faces long after they've died. Yeah, I think there's a fine line between like the the immediate estate and fam, close family of, of the deceased, like saying, yes, that we know them, they would have loved this, so let's do it, versus the larger picture of like seeing a bunch of people who have, posthumously being put in films like that kind of dystopian feeling is what people take issue with because we had it with the beatles recently like yeah john and john and george john and paul were put in john and george, george john and george jesus christ <laughs> sorry maca john and paul for fuck's sake john and, <laughs> john george, and george i literally have a portrait of him on my wall um we're putting feels the... like he's still alive oh it does it does <laughs> well what yeah what while, while within you without you is still in my record collection um yeah, they, they were posthumously put into the Now and Then video. And of course, you know, their estates were consulted and Darnie, ha- Darnie and Olivia were very happy with it. And Yoko was really happy with it, as were Sean and 
Julian. Um, but also, I don't know that John Lennon would have liked that. I think John Lennon would have gone, oh, can you just fucking leave? Can you just leave? Can you leave the random recording I did on a piano in the 70s alone, please? Yeah. Like, he was actually a bit of a cantankerous fucker. Yeah. And so, like, you know, we do, we're doing these things now posthumously with people. And I, I wonder if, I, I wonder at the ethics of it. Yeah. And again, there are much larger ethical concerns that I have in the modern world we live in. And this is a very minor one, and it's one that ultimately doesn't really affect anybody that's alive. But mm. it is an ethical concern, I think. Yeah. And again, it's just what people are comfortable with. Like, yeah. And I think it's going to be a case-by-case basis. Because again, yeah. like, this is a prime example. Stanley actively loved, he lived, like, he lived for being cameos in these films. Because he wasn't writing comics at this point anymore. He wasn't, like, he wasn't really in Marvel. He was a, a kind of a representative of Marvel. Yeah. He wasn't actively doing anything. But the one thing he could still do, which he loved doing, was in the films he could see the characters that he created <laughs> slash co-created and all that debate for people not watching the podcast but listening big, to it ryan's doing air quotes big air quotes <laughs> created co-created big debate in that uh, noted and everything loved yes. the characters that he loved he loved the characters he loved being on these live action sets and seeing them brought to life in live action he told like robert downey jr and tom holland that they were like the perfect castings for these characters so obviously for them that was like a big thing um so yeah for him that feels like the the closest to okay that you can get with mm. that kind of situation because he was doing that already. If you ask him, they probably asked him when he was alive because he lived yeah. to like 90 something. He was an old boy, wasn't so he? So they probably asked him like, hey, when you die, do you want to still be in these films? And he was probably like, yeah, absolutely. Like that's the most, I don't know that for sure. It just seems like the most likely scenario. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's case by case and it's a different topic for a different day. Yeah, no, but I think it's interesting nonetheless. Yeah. I'll put a time description where we get where we get into this for the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that's pretty much the comic covered. And yeah, I would say so. Like I said, highly recommend. Great read, Ryan. Yes, is it goated or based? Oh, it's goated. Absolutely goated. Goated. goated yeah. Totally yeah. goated. I'd get goated for sure. I mean, yeah. written by a goat. The fact that it was again, like you uh, adequately explained, was that it was a superhero thing with all these great historical tie-ins. Yeah, I think that alone, like doing that well uh, to any degree is worthy of a go with status because how often does that happen yeah totally so. um yeah no I, I, I think i think it was a really great experiment in storytelling i think it was a fantastic concept that was really well delivered mm. so if you haven't read it but still by this point please go and read it it's worth a read and maybe we'll do some 1602 stuff in the future like we'll see how the schedule fits we don't we like to space them out a bit so we're not just doing like a whole month of one time and we've often found that actually revisiting old topics isn't that fruitful for us well it depends on the topic i suppose isn't it like, i think i think if the, if if, there, if this was just a straight sequel to this one then it'd be like oh maybe we don't touch it yeah because it's spider-man 1602 it's, it's like a whole it's a whole last run isn't it i can actually tell you what there are yeah go for it so we've got a, a 1602 new world which might just be other characters we've got 1602 fantastic four which i'd be that very would be cool the fact that they were again these traveling uh heroes like odysseus was really cool we've not done any fantastic four either no we've i've got a good fantastic four we could do and i know point. nothing about them that's even that's and still fantastic there must be fantastic four comics coming out right now yeah yeah there was a good one recently which i was like it was better than what had come out previously yeah and i kind of i went into a really like oh my god this is amazing and then as i read i was like okay it's not amazing it's good yeah. but it's, i'm not like raving about it Rushing now Rushing to bring it to me exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like i did with amazing spider-man <laughs> <laughs> we all know how that went that went well didn't uh. it 
Um, and Spider-Man 1602, obviously. Um, and they're one of the characters brought in the 2015 Secret Wars, which is actually going to be one of my Comic Stand videos once I get around to actually making them. We'll get to that Soon later. to be known as Comic Stand. Soon to be known as. But yeah, so... Do you want to take us home? Yeah, so thank you so much for continuing to listen to us through 2023 into this new era of 2024. A bigger year than we've ever had before on it's, this podcast. We're going to do it bigly. Yep. We're going to do it bigly. We're going to build a wall. Um, <laughs> around reference. the podcast. Around the podcast. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to leave a review, you can do so wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to write to us, you can. Comicliterate at gmail.com. We make shorts. They're on TikTok. They're on YouTube. We are fucking everywhere, lads. Almost everywhere. We're getting there. We're getting there. Thank you so much and good afternoon. Thank you. Goodbye.